Aloha and welcome to A Dose of Positivity. I am your host, Donna Maltz, known to many as Mama Donna. And each week I invite positive, knowledgeable guests to share their wisdom, passion, inspiration, and their determination to positively impact our world. You will meet the most incredible social and environmentally responsible activists, artists, entrepreneurs, musicians, health and wellness advocates, making a difference with their lives and their careers. The goal here is to bring you more positivity into your life. We invite you to share your goodness and inspiration, ask questions, and please invite others who are looking to be part of a positively positive transformation. Thank you for joining us. Now it is time for a dose of positivity. Aloha, everyone. It's Mama Donna here for another episode of A Dose of Positivity. And I can't be more excited today than to welcome our special guest, Sally Fallon Morell. And really excited. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do a very, very short brief um, as people are coming into the room. Um, like, I just, I just can't even express... Um, how much gratitude I have to you, Sally, to take the time in your day to share uh, your William wisdom and your brilliance with our audience. And for those new people who are on the call or listening to the replay, uh, on a dose of positivity, I interview change makers, thought leaders, and wellness professionals. And Sally Fallon is one of those rare people that fits into all three of those categories. And I want to encourage everybody who is on the call to please um, feel free to ask questions to Sally. This is your opportunity. If you have health concerns, um, uh, being really transparent with you, I have tried every diet under the book as far as me being a vegetarian, a vegan, um, really not a diet, but more of a lifestyle. But really when it comes down to it, most of my life, I have been a nourishing traditions. Um, I don't want to say fanatic because that's not the right word, a conscious, nourishing, traditions, conscious human, not just for my health, but the health of the planet. And I know for a lot of you who've read my book, Living Like the Future Matters, The Evolution of a Soul to Soul Entrepreneur, you know that I am not a vegetarian, but I meet my meat before I eat. And part of this discussion and what Sally and I are gonna be talking about is not just your health, but also as we always come around to is the health of the Pachamama, the mother earth, and how one bite at a time, what we put in our mouths makes a difference to future generations. And I can't think of a better person to speak to this than the author of this amazing book and so many others, which I'll um, read when I read her bio, I will, I will share that with you. This is one of my favorites because, you know, eat fat, lose fat. I mean, hello. Um, we are really, um, I like being a little chubby myself. I call it my COVID curves. And frankly, I love every one of them and so does my husband. And once we start accepting ourselves for the beautiful bodies that we have um, and nourish the traditions of our ancestral roots and nourish our inner wisdom, we are all gonna be healthier. And if we're healthier, the planet is healthier. 
So while as I'm waiting for a few more people to come in, I just want to read this to you. Okay, this is really short out of this book, Truth Be Told, which Sally is going to expand upon. Imagine if the food industry ad advocated environmental, humane, and animal justice. And what if food service workers got treated like human beings, not as disposable human resources? In the last several decades, due to work of exceptional journal journalists, authors like Sally Fallon and filmmakers, information is readily available for consumers to make the right choices. Billions of acres of GMO crops, such as soy, sugar, beet, and cotton, dominate one's fertile farmland. The toxic chemicals used use the GMO crops have far-reaching effects. The corrupt industry is the source of widespread water pollution, the horrendous animal cruelty, air pollution, and the alarming contaminants of our foods. Industrial workers are often undocumented and paid less than $6 an hour. Human beings are being subjected to unself unsafe and unhealthy working conditions, knowing that the workers can't fight back. Today, we're gonna to be speaking a lot towards being self-reliant with our food systems. And Sally is speaking from her farm in Maryland, and I am speaking from my farmstead here on the big island of Hawaii. So without further ado, I am gonna give Sally a proper introduction and Kevin, I don't know if you can see because Tell's not on the call to welcome people in. Um, they might just miss this intro, but most people who are on this call are here, Sally, because they know, love, and appreciate you so much. So Sally Fallon Morrell is the founding president of the Winston A. Price Foundation. And you can find that at winstonaprice.org. Weston Price. I can't believe I just said that. Yes, Weston, thank you. A nonprofit nutrition education foundation is dedicated to returning nutrient dense food to the American tables. She's also the founder of a campaign for real milk, realmilk.com, which has its goal universal access to clean, real meal, milk from pasture fed, raised animals, humanely raised creatures who we love and we appreciate. She is also the author of the best-selling book, Nourishing Traditions. And she wrote that with Mary Igan, PhD, and the Nourishing Tradition book of baby and child care, which she wrote with Thomas Cowan. Nourishing broth with uh, Dr. Uh, with Kayla, Kay Kayla um, T. Daniels. I don't need to say these names. This is about you right now, Sally. Um, about nourishing fats, that book we have right here, and nourishing diets. And her latest book, Contagious Myth, which she co-authored with Thomas Cowan, MD. She and her husband, Jeffrey Morell, are the owners, the proud owners, of P.A. Bowen Farmstead, which is in Southern Maryland, where they produce the best raw cheese and milk from pastured cows, woodland whey feed pork, and grass-fed poultry and eggs. Oh, I just want to wake up there tomorrow and have breakfast with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you can see um, all her blogs on sallyfallon.com and also at the Weston uh, A. Price website. It's just chock full of information. Yeah. But so, nourishingtraditions.com. Nourishingtraditions.com. Yep. And all these links will be in the chat. And, and for everybody who's listening to the replay, I always put all these links in there. There's no way you can't find this incredible human. So um, what I would like to do right now, Sally, to open up the discussion and let you just have at it. And I'm going to look at the chat too for questions and bring those in. But I think some of the people on the call I know, because these people have been coming on every week, they might not know of you and your incredible work other than what I've been putting out on social media in my and in my Facebook group. So I think giving some history of who you are, what you love to do, why why did you write Nourishing Traditions? And um, you guys, this is, to me, I look at this, this is my Bible book, like people looked at, um, what's that? Um, no, no, I, I keep saying Ann Letters. You know, who's that? The other, there's another woman out there who who, who could tr- cooks but doesn't cook uh, the right way. I'll think of that. You guys, let me move on. I'm, I'm tripping off on my words there, so you'll forgive me on that. But anyway, I am so excited for you to tell us some juicy stories on how you got right voting this. And, and you can tell I'm stumbling because my gal's not here and I'm trying to welcome people in all at the same time. So all of you people who knew on the call right now, um, thank you so much for your patience. My assistant's out ill and actually her grandmother died yesterday. So um, I'm here on my lonesome. So Sally, thank you so much for answering that question for us and starting the ball rolling with for us. Okay, I'm not sure how juicy these stories are, but uh, I was, uh, well, let me say that I've always loved to cook. And I pretty much taught myself from Julia Child's. That's what French cooking. the name yes. I was talking about, Julia Child's. And, and I loved cooking that way. And I actually was able to uh, kind of solve my sugar addiction by just eating lots of fats. And I loved pate and all these wonderful things. Uh, and uh, fortunately, in the early 70s, I stumbled upon Dr. Price's book. And it was like a life-changing book for me. And I was uh, had a young family at the time, one daughter and three boys to come. And I felt vindicated when I read Dr. Price's book because uh, these people were pretty much eating like the French. <laughs> they ate lots of animal fat. They ate the organ meats like the liver. Uh, the milk drinking peoples uh, drank raw milk and had butter and cream. And So I just carried on uh, with uh, this kind of diet for my kids and felt vindicated when none of them needed braces and I needed braces and all my siblings needed braces. Mm. But my kids didn't need braces. So I reversed this trend to physical degeneration by feeding my kids a really rich diet. So then in the uh, kind of late 70s, early 80s, you started to hear all about how we should eat a low-fat diet, plant-based mm-hmm. diet. They didn't say plant-based in those days. They said vegetarian. And I just knew this was not correct, and I just ignored it. So uh, I carried on, and then when my youngest child was five and I had more time, he was in school full-time, I got the idea to write a cookbook that put Dr. Price's 
findings into um, a form that was easier to assimilate because his book is, is a bit of a, uh, a trek to get through it all. Uh, so, um, and it, this idea kind of took hold of me, like it grabbed me and I couldn't, it just became an obsession. And I'd never written a book before. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I can't say that I got a lot of support from my family. They thought that I had this crazy idea. And I don't, I don't blame them. And uh, I also found as I was writing that I needed some help, that there were a lot of things I didn't know about fats and oils. So I contacted Mary Ennig. I'd read an article about her and she was the lady who went after the trans fats in the diet. So she and I collaborated and we came up with this book, Nourishing Traditions. And uh, it just like everything fell into place, like this, per, this uh, friend came along and gave me the money for publishing the first, first set of books. I mean, just like the universe was working there. So anyway, uh, it, it started, um, you know, it was kind of word of mouth. It would sell, you know, one or 200 a month. And then two to 400 a month. And it just kept growing. It just kept growing. And uh, by, um, you know, into it, about five years into it, it was selling 6,000 books a month. And that's amazing for a first time author. And I didn't have a big publishing company behind me or anything like that. And you can complain about Amazon all you want, but I give thanks to Amazon because they'll take any book. And it was because of Amazon that I got the shelf space that I never would have gotten in a bookstore. So um, after we published the book and a few years after we, Mary and I and my husband thought we, we need, and Tom Cowan, there were four of us, we need an organization that keeps looking at the science coming out, that uh, keeps re-educating people about fats and cholesterol, that, and it helps people find these foods that we're advocating because let's face it, when we started, it was really hard to find raw milk, mm -hmm. pastured eggs and all these good things. So we founded the Weston A. Price Foundation and that too is started small, obscure organization. We've always published a journal. We've always had a yearly conference and slowly growing its influence has increased and now, you know, it's quite a respected uh, nutrition organization. That's, so that's, so that's the outline. <laughs> that's a, an amazing outline. So what were you doing before you you got into this? Like, how are you eating and, and where were you living? And what was your lifestyle like before? Oh, okay. Well, we were living in Washington, D.C., um, actually in Alexandria, Virginia. And then we moved back to Los Angeles. My husband worked for the aerospace industry. Um, and I just, uh, I taught school for a couple of years and then I was a stay-at-home mom feeding my kids. And, and you know, four kids is a handful, so. That's full-time, four jobs right there. That's four jobs. In fact, uh, one of my sons said, mom, he said, I really don't know how you did it, how you did four kids, so. And um, how you but did- But I did, and they were great kids and they were fun. You know, they were healthy and they didn't have anxiety or digestive problems or anything. Fun kids. So right away when you started having your babies, you knew this information that you got from Mr. Price himself, and you just were using your not using your children, but applying that in in yeah, your everyday. 
they were the guinea pigs. <laughs> um, so I hadn't read, when my first child was born, I hadn't read his book, but I had been pretty much eating that way anyway. That's how I like to eat. So. Yeah, I'm so, that's so amazing. That's what a beautiful story. I know because of a lot of people on the call, you know, and, and even myself, sometimes you just think you're, you're so small, who's going to care what you have to say, but if it's yeah. something and that's how I kind of felt about the book. In fact, it almost stopped at one point. I thought, this is silly. Who's gonna, I mean, there's a thousand cookbooks out there. You know, why do, why should I be doing this? Yeah. Uh, but the kind of voice in my head just said, no, no, you got to do this. So. It's something like something that kind of comes through you, you know, that you, yeah. you can't. I know, I know that's how I feel as an author. But, you know, I really want to, let people understand because some of the people I know on the call are are vegans or have been vegans and I really would like to talk to the how, how that misnomer came to be and how the propaganda industrial food complex has skewed people maybe in the wrong direction and and get you to really shine and share your wisdom around that well, the first thing you have to understand is that foods based on plants have a much bigger profit margin. In fact, I was reading an article in The Economist that admitted that the plant-based milks have a much bigger profit margin than animal milk. And that is why this type of diet is being promoted. It has nothing to do with health. Uh, I think the second thing, the kind of touchstone is that none of the healthy populations that Dr. Price studied were vegan or vegetarian. In fact, all of them went to great risk and effort to obtain animal foods and all of the sacred foods that young men and women ate uh, before conception were nutrient-dense animal foods. So, I mean, those are just two touch points there. I think you can connect the dots. Now, unfortunately, the vegan diet is promoted as a way to make you more spiritual and more woke, more, you know, caring of the earth or, or whatever. And that's a very, very dangerous argument. If we want to do good work in our lives and do something that makes a difference on this planet, number one, we have to be healthy. So it is a moral obligation to eat a healthy diet. And we know that um, healthy diets contain animal foods. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you talk a lot about that I really appreciate um, is the eating the whole part of the animal and that yeah. the most nutrition part of the animal are the organs. Can you talk about that, Sally? And because, um, you know, I lived in Alaska for um, on and off for 38 years. And I had access to fish eggs every single day. And yeah, well, fish eggs are great. Um, yeah, so the traditional culture is one thing that really separates them from modern culture is when they killed an animal, they ate the whole animal. Often they ate the, the yucky parts <laughs> raw. So when they killed an animal, first thing they did was take out the brain, the marrow, the liver, and the tongue and they ate that first. And those are very nutrient dense parts of the animal. Uh, then all of the lean meat was kind of cut into strips and smoked or dried and all of the fat was 
retained and rendered. And when they ate the lean meat, they spread it with the fat. So it's very hard for us to eat the whole animal. <laughs> Although Europeans are much better at this than we are. So they eat the blood, they make a blood sausage. They eat liver sausage. And I would like to say, these are ways of making offal taste good. And I, this is something I'm very much dedicated to is bringing back these kind of foods uh, to America. And it's hard because it's actually illegal well, I don't know if it's illegal, but it's very hard to get approval to have a sausage with liver in it. You can get liver worst, but anyway, um, we need to, uh, number one, the number one organ is the liver. It's the most nutrient dense food that we have. And think, and, and the poultry livers are milder, actually they have a better balance of the fat soluble vitamins. So start there, make, learn to make um, chicken liver pate, and there's plenty of companies that sell these foods. So uh, that's where I would start. Another nice development in recent years is the desiccated organ meats. You can get in capsule form. And for example, after I had COVID, I started taking desiccated lung and it helped tremendously. So some people take desiccated liver, desiccated heart, uh, et cetera. The so that's, that's not a really natural way of doing it, but it's certainly better than not getting the organ meats at all. Well, one of the things that is challenging that I hear from a lot of people, especially with the growing population and the industrial food complex is in charge of most of this animal source, these animal proteins and nutrients that we really I want to use the word need right now um, that keep us healthy. So how, how do people who don't have access to pasture raised food or can't afford it um, get access to this? And, and, and how can we put more pressure on the industrial food complex so that we can get back to nourishing the traditions that are really the root of who we are meant to be and how we're supposed to eat? Well, this exercises my mind a lot, and that was one of the goals of the Weston A. Price Foundation is to help make these foods, help in, improve the access to these foods. So we have a system of local chapters, and the goal, the role of the local chapter, we have over 400 worldwide, about 350 in the state. And what the local chapter does is make a local food list. They go out and visit the farms in the area, the, the health food stores, uh, whatever. And many of them actually set up food groups. If they don't have anything in their area, like take a state like Iowa, where you can't buy raw milk there, they have food groups that bring these foods in, from, usually from Amish farmers. And so you can, let's just say you live in Kansas City, okay? Um, you go on our website, you find the chapter leader in Kansas City and you email him or her and they will give you that food list. And we ask everyone to what we call take the pledge. And the pledge is to spend 50% of your food budget uh, directly from local farms. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out to the farm. Some, a lot of these farms deliver or you can get a group of gals together and take turns going to the farm, pick up for everybody, but try to spend 50% of your food dollar from local farmers. 
that not only gets you this wonderful food, but it starts creating an alternative food system. Absolutely. With the other 50% of your food dollar, you can celebrate how small the world has become and eat pineapples from Hawaii and rice from Northern California, whatever. Um, it's not, we're not just telling you, you have to eat everything local, but we need to support these uh, wonderful new integrated farms that are doing things right. Well, the average farmer is 58 years old and so inspiring new young farmers yeah. and also working. I love that you've got these chapters going, Sally. I think that's really important. I've contacted, we have one right here in Waimea and I've recently contacted them and I encourage everybody to do that no matter where you are, where you live, because this is that network. This is that mycelium that's going to change the world by branching out and really making a difference with one bite at a time with every dollar we spend. You know, and yeah, the way you spend your food dollars is a political act. Right. And the there is no business having industry with in food. Uh, we need industry, we need capitalism for airplanes and cars and um, computers and stuff like that. There's definite need for it. And, and industry has made our lives better, has freed us up from drudgery, given us more time to go out and find the good foods. But food should not be created by industry. Food should be created by farmers and artisans. And it is really our duty and um, responsibility to support these farmers. Absolutely. And also, um, I would like to talk a little bit too about the misnomer of animal husbandry, the way the industrial food complex is treating animals is so humane in the way they're raising the food. But actually, indeed, the buffalo were responsible for fertilizing the soil, keeping the soil healthy, the migration of the buffalo, and then things would grow from there. And, um, you know, so, so again, you know, if we have healthy soil, right, we're, we're going to save the world. And animals are a big part of that whole system. Nature never farms without animals. And the right kind of farming imitates nature <clears throat> and moves the animals every day, just like uh, a herd of buffalo moves across the prairie, for, uh, fertilizing the soil with their manure. And uh, that's called managed intensive grazing. That's what we do in our farm. And we started out on our farm. It was an old tobacco farm, had no topsoil, just gravel, sort of clay and gravel mixed together. No, we really had no topsoil. And now 10 years into this, we have six to eight inches of topsoil everywhere. And it's beautiful, organic, fertile soil. And you create that by managing your animals in the right way. And this is why we say, if it's done properly, beef is the most environmentally friendly meat because it, it saves the planet, it revitalizes the soil, but it has to be done right. Right. Uh, you, you don't need to grow a single piece of grain to raise beef. And, uh, you know, you have to move your animals. It's sanitary, it's clean, it's beautiful. It's, um, it, res it restores the planet. Yeah. And I think um, that's like super hard for a vegan to understand. And I totally can appreciate that. Um, I, I 
read on both sides of the coin, but really what Sally is saying, it makes total sense. I mean, we're all God's creatures put here on earth for a reason. And one of the things that I find so fascinating is when you look at a cow and a sheep, all these ruminant animals, right? They have four stomachs or at least three or four stomachs, right? So they're really digesting and eating the grain or the grass and and, and as they go so that we can digest digest so when we eat the animals because really can you talk to that sally about um grains and the, the how how we're supposed to eat grains and why they're not di really digestible and hard to absorb if they're not done right yeah the animal foods are much easier for human beings to digest starting with milk i mean if you pasteurize milk it's impossible to digest but raw milk and eggs and meat and they can even be eaten raw but uh, plant foods are very hard to digest because they have cellulose in them. And we cannot break down cellulose. Um, animals can't break down cellulose either. They, they ferment the plant foods. That's what those stomachs of the cows are doing. They're fermenting the grass, they're fermenting the grains and uh, breaking it down. And the, the bacteria produce uh, fatty acids like butyric acid and the cow absorbs that. And that's what the cow lives on is those fatty acids perform, uh, created by the fermentation process. The other food for the cow is to die off of the bacteria. So the cow is actually not a vegetarian. The cow is eating animal protein and fat, the products of the fermentation. Anyway, where was I? Um, so we don't have four stomachs. We are not um, um, herbivores, we're omnivores. And traditional cultures figured this out one way or another, they figured it out. Maybe they had intuition, visions or something, but they, mm -hmm. they needed to pre-digest their grains and their beans and seeds, even nuts, um, in order to, to make them easier for humans to digest. Otherwise they'd get sick eating these foods. So they, um, soak them usually it was a very acidic soaking or they uh, did, made sourdough bread or they soaked the beans for a long time and cooked them uh, a, a typical um, bread if you want to look this up online it's the sorghum pancakes in africa and the sorghum is the seeds are soaked a long time then they are wet ground because they're easier to grind and then they're soaked again, and usually the husks rise to the top, and those are discarded because those are really hard to digest. And then they make a very thin pancake, which they um, cook on a cast iron skillet. Uh, they use credit cards to turn them over. <laughs> Funny, yeah. I could use for credit cards. Anyway, um, that's a very typical type of grain preparation. And you find this all over the world. So what, one of the things that I had to work on in nourishing tradition was figuring out how to make these dishes in a form that was soaked or pre-digested. And the typical example is oatmeal. Uh, the oatmeal is soaked overnight in warm water and something acidic, a little bit of vinegar or something. And the next morning uh, you add salt and you cook it till it's really cooked. And then you, by this time you have pre-digested the oats, you've liberated all the minerals in the oats. And then, so then you put, eat it with butter or cream and some kind of natural sweetener. 
um, and the butter, the vitamins in the butter and cream help you absorb all the minerals. So it's a real win-win situation. And my experience, I've had many people share this with me that when, and it's the same as what I experienced, that if I ate oatmeal that hadn't been soaked, by 10 o'clock in the morning, I was on the floor. I was so sick. But like, it was like a toxic shock reaction. If I soak the oats, I can go till one o'clock in the afternoon, not get hungry. Um, they're very digestible. They stick with you a long time. So, you know, that's just one example of how proper preparation makes the grains into a food that, that nourish human beings. Yay for regenerative grain farmers who work with, we have a regenerative grain farmer on, on the call right here. She's from North Dakota and um, it's really good. That's really good information because people do have been eating grains and fruits and nuts and berries since the beginning of time, but they prepared them in such a way to, to mix up what you're saying is this, this combination of things and this fermentation process. And I would love for you to expand a little bit more on the whole um, fermentation, um, why fermentation, not just in the cow's gut, but fermentation, fermentation. Well, yeah, well we need to do that outside our guts <laughs> before we eat them. Uh, I just wanted to finishing up on grains. The recipe for pancakes in nourishing traditions is one of the most successful. And I've got a lot of wonderful feedback on it. So if you're starting with nourishing traditions, I'd start with the oatmeal and the pancakes. And if you just master those two recipes, you're fine. So um, I also introduced um, lacto-fermented foods such as sauerkraut and pickles um, and things into the public consciousness and nourishing traditions. And again, I was, somebody had recommended some books in French and so my, my French came in really handy there because I was reading <laughs> books about fermentation in French. And they suggested that in doing this, that you use a little bit of whey from separated milk as an inoculant. And, and so I started working on this and at the time, the only thing you could get for fermenting was these big crocs, I mean, really large crocs, and they came from Europe. And I thought, hey, this is not gonna work. We need something small scale and simple. So I worked out a method of making the fermented foods in um, mason jars. And so the uh, book has uh, maybe about 30 recipes for fermented food, for fermented foods, different types of fermented cabbage, pickles, hot sauce. Um, I have some chutneys in there that are really good. There's a raisin chutney that's just delicious. <laughs> uh, but you do need to have whey to make these work. Otherwise, they'll go alcoholic. So that was one of the things my kids really teased me about. <laughs> I, got your kids drunk. I got into these fermented foods and the counter was covered with all these weird things. And they didn't always turn out. <laughs> And it tasted terrible, and then I made them try them. That, they were my test crew, and of course, if they didn't like something, it didn't go in the book. So. Yeah, but it, they, it, it went in the compost, which having fermented foods, when all when if I have a batch of ferments that doesn't work, man, I just put the juice down the drain pipe to clean out the septic system, <laughs> and the byproduct into the compost heap, and man, it just works so fast. Well, we have these little moving compost heaps called pigs, so that's where it goes. That's good. How many pigs do you have now on your farm? 
Uh, we have about 70 pigs. We do we do 75 pigs a year. Yeah. So. Wow, that's a lot of pigs. Yeah, it's and our best best product. It's the one that's the easiest to produce, the least fewest losses, and the healthiest animals. And pigs are just amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. So you went all out, like you you had never lived on a farm before, and just ten years ago you said, "I'm I'm moving to a farm." Yeah, fortunately, my husband had been a farmer in New Zealand. So he's a dairy farmer in New Zealand, a grass-based dairy farmer. Oh, that's so, so a lot. He designed our milking parlor and um, yeah, right, yeah. You... putting all the tracks on the farm and making it easy to get the cows in. That was his thing. That's so beautiful. So it's never too late, right, Robin? It's never too late to start and jump in and do your dream and your passion. And there's some people on the call today who are either farmers or want to be farmers or in the process of being farmers. And this is just a great testament to press that go button and go for it. You don't have to have 75 pigs. You can just have one. Yeah, have one. <laughs> um, just yeah, I was 60 when we bought the farm. My husband was 80. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we and my brother said I was crazy. He said, You're absolutely out of your mind. But we did it and it's been so much fun. Yeah, it's so great. Well, Sally, what's happened since um just shifting the subject since COVID, there's all this um amplification of paranoia of bacteria, yeah. viruses. And I just would love to hear the feedback you've gotten from your community around this and has it changed the way you're having to do things on the farm how has it how do you think people's mindsets are to receive um like whoa well somebody wrote a big thing in the chat yeah you know what i'm saying so pre post covid are you are you seeing anything any different things on people's mindsets, so you're getting different responses from people. Well, okay, so COVID started, and um, Tom Cowan and I wrote this book called *The Contagion Myth*. I had already been working on some blogs about what really causes diseases like TB and the, uh, the Black Death, which was caused by a comet. It was not caused by bacteria and basically showing that you can explain every disease as caused by uh, toxins, malnutrition, and possibly injury. One of those three or a combination. And then Tom had been doing some work on viruses and found out that this whole field of virology is a complete fraud and they've never isolated or characterized any virus. That these little particles they see in the electron microscope are um, probably, well, they, they um, are created inside the cell when the cell's under stress and a whole other field of biology calls those exosomes and they're considered beneficial. So we wrote the contagion myth and it has been, I would say, a polarizing book. We lost a few customers because of it and we've been accused of um, causing dissension in the health freedom movement but um, I mean, first of all, I say, read the book, read the book, and then tell me something in the book that is wrong, okay? 
and we can talk about it. But um, you know, don't don't make those criticisms if you haven't read the book. Um, and I think it's kind of opened up a lot of dialogue in spite of the um, pushback that we've had. And eventually it will become common knowledge. I mean, look, look what's happened in the last 20 years about bacteria. 20 years ago or 30 years ago, uh, the reigning paradigm was that human being is sterile, the digestive tract is sterile and bacteria somehow get in there and make us sick. Mm -hmm. And now we know that bacteria, we can't live without bacteria. The healthy human being has six pounds of beneficial bacteria in the gut that help us digest, that create, that perform about 85% of our immune system, that create feel good chemicals, that create vitamins and minerals, that create vitamins. Um, so that paradigm has completely shifted. And even most doctors are now aware that antibiotics are um, harm, can be quite harmful. So uh, the th it'll shift on the viruses too. And I think we're coming more and more to realize that this, the germ theory of disease, that we're attacked by germs, absolves us of responsibility for our health. And just... Um, we can say, well, it wasn't my fault. I was attacked by these germs. It was just, you know, um, the mean, capricious universe. And uh, that's why we get sick. And we don't have to take responsibility for anything. But when we realize that this germ theory is incorrect, that what we call germs and these things we call viruses are actually exosomes that are a response to disease and are there to help us uh, then uh, we can make some progress in medicine. And until we change this mindset, uh, we're not going to get very far. And we haven't gotten very far. We just get sicker and sicker. <laughs> we need to learn how to eat. We need to learn to fr um, clean up the absolute mess of poisons that we put into the earth. And, and then we can have health for everybody. Where'd you go? Donna? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's happened there, but uh, this is this is Alan. What you said, what you've just said about the virus and all is correct. I I will swear by it. I I agree. <laughs> this is Rosia. I agree. Um, the person who's done the most on this is a guy named Andy Kaufman. Yes, I've and listen to his uh, videos and things. They're just so convincing. He's so really sticking to the science. There's nothing emotional about these videos, and he takes you step by step to show exactly. you exactly. He gives you the science, but if people just think about it, they they talk so much in the news about the the quote the. Uh, uh, you know the bad doctors, the ones that are giving you the yeah. misinformation. Information, so to speak. yeah, yeah. And what what do they talk about? Oh, well, as soon as someone came to them having quote COVID, they gave them ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine yeah. whatever it is. And and what did these drugs do? For twenty years, they've been treating parasites. Mm -hmm. Now, how can something that kills a living 
being kill a virus that isn't living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're killing a dead thing. So well, how, and- how does a para- parasite treatment affect and make the uh, the person much much better, much faster, they don't go to the hospital. And what is attacking them supposedly is something that doesn't eat, doesn't drink, doesn't move, doesn't live, doesn't do anything. It's just a piece of something. Piece of genetic material. Of yeah. course, our contention in the book was that the whole, the virus was a cover up. Exactly. And that we, we are not saying this is just a, um, my, uh, the flu. We're not saying, and, and I disagree with Andy Kaufman on this. He says just the flu. Well, I had COVID. I can tell you it's not just the flu. It's completely different than any flu you've ever had. And I got COVID after traveling and being in airports and where there was a lot of Wi-Fi, very intense Wi-Fi and 5G and so forth. And our contention is that this is a real disease. It's radiation poisoning and it's caused by exposure to 5G and intense Wi-Fi. I exactly. uh, agree with that 100%. And we need to learn to clean up our houses. We may not be able to clean it up outside, but to have um, EMF safe houses. And I've written a number of blogs on that and how to do it. Yeah. You, got, you got to get your computer wired. Even if it's coming into the house as Wi-Fi, uh, which we had at our Weston Price office. There's no Fios there, it just came in as Wi-Fi, but we were able to put it all in wires in the house uh, to put a, a kind of cage, Faraday cage over the router and uh, our meter test safe in the office. And everybody needs to do this. You don't want to sleep with Wi-Fi. You don't, you don't even want to sleep with a electric alarm clock by your head. No, turn, I turn that stuff like our Wi-Fi, I turn it off. Yeah, and you, and you, you know, the cell phone is, I mean, I have a cell phone, I, I do use it. We need to learn how to use the cell phone and never hold it to our ears. Mm-hmm. And we need to get the phone companies to make sure that these phones are safe. And actually, I think the cell phones are safer than they used to be. They're safer. Some of them do. Uh, when we, went ar- when uh, we ran around our office with the meter, mm-hmm. Everything was fine. Even the cell phones were fine, except for the old clamshell phone that belonged to our uh, executive director. And that made the meter go ballistic. Mm -hmm. So I have to conclude that these um, cell phone companies knew they had a problem and have tried to clean it up a little bit. Well, in the the instruction in the small print, it tells you not to hold it to your ear. Your ear. That yeah. covers their ass, you know, yeah. for lawsuits in the future because yeah. people are going to get the holding it to their ear continually yeah. or earbuds or whatever. They and they come down with tumors on that side of the... Yeah, they no, my it. husband has found this many times. So um, you really should have a landline uh, and use that most of the time. And a cell phone is just for when you're out and about. You should have a meter. Uh, when I bring our my, the meter I have up to my computer, it's always green. Uh, up, same with the printer. You want the printer to be wired. Everything needs to be wired. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be much safer. Because the wire's got shielding in it. It always has. Yeah. So I don't know what to do without our hostess or where she's gone. Oh, well, you can keep telling us good stuff. <laughs> Does anyone have any, any questions for me? Sally, I have a question. 
And yes, um, Robin. Um, I kind of Donna started on that down that path, but I'm just really curious because I wanted to come to Dallas so badly, and I tried everything to get there. But um, and I've heard you speak many, many times. I was curious when you're standing on the stage in Dallas and you're looking back at the audience, what are they telling you? Are they more amped up than ever about what you are presenting through the through the foundation, the nourishment, um, the fact that we have to be responsible for our own health or or, or was it really COVID all, or what? I think it's all those things. Everyone was really glad to be together and not be, have a mask on to be just normal. Uh, we serve wonderful food at the conference, you know, that, that um, embodies our principles. So, um, and then they're there to learn. Over the years, we've tried a lot of things like we had dancing once after dinner, kind of a dancing concert. We just wanted to learn, you know, so um, a tremendous appetite for learning. Uh, we had Gerald Pollack speak on the uh, fourth phase of water, structured water, and there was standing room only in, in his room. Uh, this year, it's going to be in Knoxville. And hey, cool. Yeah, yeah, so we'd love to see some of you there. Excellent. Uh, I w will say just watching the sales of Nourishing Traditions, uh, that they've been up quite a bit in the last few months. Our, our sales of raw milk at our farm have increased in the last few months. So I do think there's a growing sense that people need to take control of their health. Part of it is because they're afraid to go to the hospitals. You know, the, the, the goal is to stay out of the hospital, right? There she is. Hi, Donna. You disappeared. Now you need to unmute. Unmute. No, oh, I. We lost her screen. We lost her screen, so she may yeah. have had, uh, you know, computer problem or probably just connection. Somebody message her to she's unmute. Not, she's not. She's not on there. I see her. She's on her on there now. You see her? Yeah, but she's muted. Okay, I'll tell her. Oh, I left off the A. your picture let me scan through here i got it you guys i am so sorry okay. there you go we couldn't hear you you guys thought we lost internet and so i thought it was because we were starting to talk about you know some real truth alan knows he's read my book conscious cure so um most most people on the call have but sally yeah i'm so sorry you guys i'm so oh, we glad. had a nice discussion we were fine we were fine yeah Good. I'm so glad. Well, keep, keep going then. Carry on. Well, are there any questions for me? Did you, I mean, Donna, did you miss our little discussion about there not being anything as a virus? 
you know, that's when I got cut off and Sally <laughs> something. And then I thought we were being censored. I really did. I and then and then Oh no, we were fine. Yeah. Okay. Because my internet just totally shut down and I'm so happy to see you all here because this is really important stuff that we're it's all about food sovereignty it's all about health sovereignty it's all about educating ourselves and one thing i do want to say about that because i missed the last 10 minutes so but there are some incredible uh youtube um conversations with sally and tom there's some interviews on um that you guys can go to and i think they're all on youtube or vinmo and and i really encourage everybody on here to to look at every single thing that this woman has ever um, done. Yeah. She's got some real technical classes on the food food side of things and in some cooking demo uh, videos. Um, but when it comes to talking about um, her her latest book, and actually I, I was talking to Sally, I, um, I, I actually put them, um, I, I put your books in the mail the other day, so you'll get them from me. Oh, okay. Um, originally the way I, I just want to share this little story with you and then i want everybody who has questions i'll have to catch up and look in the chat if there's any questions for you but i i i'm so impressed with sally i have been since uh, since nourishing traditions came out and my dad was a dentist and lo and behold oh, right. yeah. yeah yeah he was and, and and actually sally i have to get you my last few blogs because you know, you guys, you know, I had to cancel a show because of my teeth. I got a huge infection in my mouth and um, all this dental work. And um, but anyway, I thought, oh God, who better person to contact because I want to republish some of my books. And she had a publishing company. And that's how I found Sally um, to bring her to this to to, the, to to us today, which is a huge gift to all of us. But um, but she said she wasn't publishing any more books and has given me some good recommendations, <laughs> but which, which is which is too bad because I know if she edited the book or we're two peas in a pod uh, thinking uh, the, the way your contagious book and how I cook and everything. Um, so there's a question from Chef here about I, bear fat. Bear fat, go Chef. Okay, so bear fat is the fat with the highest level of vitamin K that's ever been tested. Wow. And Dr. Price called this the the price factor or the X factor. And the vitamin K is needed with vitamins A and D uh, to support good health. And you have to have all three together. So what Dr. Price did was give cod liver oil with A and D and high vitamin butter oil with vitamin K. He gave those together. Mm. And so you could use bare fat instead of... (laughs) Uh, vitamin butter oil. The American Indians had a cure for infertility and it was the bear fat diet. Wow. And they eat nothing but bear fat for a month and it always solved the problem. So not easier than doing fertility treatments and all that terrible stuff. Yeah. And but the but we're we're taking the habitat down of our bears, so we have a bear shortage. Not all of us have access to bear, bear fat. fat. I know, I know. But, but if you talk. are a hunter, if you are a hunter, I mean, they still hunt bears in Alaska. Lots yeah. of bears in Alaska. Uh, you really want to save the fat. That bear fat is really nutritious, and it's probably quite similar to lard. The bear and the pig are omnivores, so probably have similar digestive tracts. Don't be afraid of lard. Uh, lard is just a wonderful fat. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think um, what 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 is coming down to like this because we only have a few minutes left, and I know I, I'm going to have to listen to the replay to see what I missed. But um, is really just taking taking charge of our our own health, yes. and taking charge yes. of our food system, and creating um, agrarian societies um, that are working with in harmony with the systems and cycles of nature so that we have bear and beaver fat and we have all these and that these are um our sacred animals and these indigenous cultures (coughs) bless your heart who respected the the land and the landscape and they well we we um you know we now rely on the domestic animals and they're just as good if they're raised properly so cows uh, sheep uh, chickens pigs turkeys ducks geese all of these have wonderful fat and that's the best part of these animals mm-hmm. and what what do you think about uh fish oil i do not recommend fish oil it's quite toxic it's a very industrial process that makes fish oil from boiling all the scraps of the fish the oil is heated you know four or five times the omega-3 fatty acids are destroyed by this and they don't contain vitamins a and d i recommend cod liver oil and only certain brands that are made that preserve the natural vitamins in, in a way that preserves natural vitamins if you go to our website and look at our cod liver oil page uh, you'll find those recommended brands there yeah. we also have a shopping guide So we publish this every year as a shopping guide for 2022. Um, we do have a page on cod liver oil at the back. And this has, you know, something like 2,500 products in it. We name brand names of the products that we recommend. The other source is to go on to realmilk.com, which has an interactive map, and you can find the farms that sell the real milk, the raw milk near you. Yeah. So it's been a, you know, we really have put a lot of our efforts into helping people find these foods and supporting the artisans and the farmers who are producing these foods. And that's what the shopping guide does. It's also online. We have it as a flip book on our website. So, and it's also, you can get it as an app for your phone. Super helpful. And you guys, you can find all this at the Weston A. Price Foundation website. Um, the website is like an encyclopedia of, <laughs> of so much free information for you Everything guys. we've ever published is on the website, plus a few extra things too. Yeah, it's really, really helpful. And so if you have m- more questions, there's people that you can ask questions at the foundation and you can um learn more about all of this stuff on your own like i said that some of the lectures that sally gives on youtube are just amazing mind-boggling um you've given such so much service so much to our uh civilization let's say bringing back well i'm having a great time doing it so it's Mm -hmm. fun and, and you you look great and your energy is 
super vibrant. And when I first talked to Sally, she said she felt better than she did 40 years ago. I so do. that's a testament yeah. to, um, yeah, that's really, really good. And your kids are all healthy and your grandkids are all healthy. And um, so there's something to that. I don't know if we can all jump, jump into bear fat. And uh, I'm sad I just got those fish oil pills, but I'm definitely going to go for that fermented. I noticed on that cod liver oil, it's fermented, right? That cod well, there's, liver. There's a couple of brands that are fermented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend that over the other? And we've actually published a number of articles on fermentation of fish oils or fish liver oils, and it actually protects them against rancidity when they're fermented. That's super cool. Lots of tidbits like that. <laughs> Alan just said, you're like a, a fine wine. You got better with age. <laughs> most of us, most of us want to say that. So we want to really look and evaluate our diets. And also you guys, I want to remind everybody too: our, our diets, everything we eat affects future generations, everything we do and it affects the natural um, ecosystems around you so by you going out and supporting your local farmers and by you becoming part of the membership or finding someone in your area who is doing animal husbandry right and the more you support it the better and it's not like you have to go out and eat a eight ounce steak you, you, you people say oh it's more expensive to eat healthy but you either pay the farmer now or the pharmacist later yeah, very good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we want to look at that and um, we're not just talking about the cost to our own personal health, but the soil's health right now. And we really, uh, the more we can do that, and that's what we do here on a dose of positivity. We bring all these billion people together to solve these problems. And I like to call them Sally solutions, S O U L. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Solutions so that we are working together um, to create these. And it's good to have these discussions, whether you're a vegan or a meat eater or whatever, you know, and even if you are a vegan eater, to just be objective and to look at this, look at the history, look at the origin of where our food come came from, look at your teeth and the structure of your mouth and, and do what's right for you. We're not sitting here saying eat this or don't eat that. What we're trying to do is expose you to the things that we know that there are science behind and everybody is different um sally can't eat oatmeal she falls on the floor um unless she soaks well, unless, it's soaked. unless it's soaked but some people that might not happen to so you really got to know your body in full, full transparency but i think that the best information that you can find almost anywhere in the world on diet nutrition is right here in this book and you can even be a vegetarian or a vegan and eat most of the recipes in this book. <laughs> I don't and, know about vegan, but vegetarian, you could Vegetarian, be. all right, vegetarian, right. You gotta get the eggs and the milk in there, right? The butter, right, vegan, it's hard. And, um, but Sally, I would love to welcome you if you have any closing remarks. I wanna be really sensitive to the your time. And uh, here's, here's a good one for you. And we it's a good way to end. So I heard this the other day, I thought it was so neat. So we are not human beings who have spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that is so beautiful. Yes. I so I will say good night and thank you so much for organizing this, Donna. And nice to meet all of you. And yeah, it was really a lot of fun.
Um, thank you so much, Sally. I really appreciate you and everything you've done and you're contributing to the world. Keep on, keep on, keep on eating. You're getting lots of love. Everybody is loving you in the chat and I love you dearly. And I can't wait to see you again. Um, I'm going to try and invite you back when I have better internet and um, come to the conference, come to the yeah. conference. When is I the conference? See you all there. When is that now? The conference It's October 22nd through 20th. It's October 20th through 24th. And where is the conference? And it's in Knoxville, Tennessee. Whoa. Yeah. <sighs> we won't be needing masks by then. Nobody we won't be needing masks on the airplane. That's about to end. Okay. All well, you right. All right. And that information is all on your website. And yes. again, thank yes. you so much. Everything will be in the replay in the chats. And we'll see you all here again next week at oh, a dose of positivity. Much, much love to you all. Aloha. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Sally. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody.